Hey, good morning, family. It's good to see you guys. Hey, if you're new, uh, my name's Chad. I'm one of the elders here at Crossway. And uh, today's great because I get to sit where you guys are sitting today, and I get to listen. Um, our pastoral intern, Scott, is going to be giving the word today. And so my encouragement to you is just to dial in right now and, and lean in and listen to what God might want to say to you today. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, you're the king. And we humble ourselves before you this morning. We love you. And uh, God, we pray that you would speak to us today. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and minds to understand your word. And we need to be shaped by your word. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, empower the preaching today and the reading of your word to do your will in your people. And all of God's people said, amen. Good morning. Um, I generally don't take the liberty of speaking on behalf of the majority. However, I don't think it's a stretch to say that all of us have either been in or going through or will be going through a time where we feel as though we know a truth about God's character here. We know that he's kind. We know that he's good. We know that he's merciful, but due to the nature of our circumstances, we don't feel it here. And our passage today is going to remind us that though we may not feel the goodness of God, we may know it, but we're in a position where we wonder, where are you, God? You know, are you really good? If you're good, why is this happening to me? And our passage shows that no matter what our circumstances look like, no matter what we're going through, the hope that we have in God and in his kindness remains. It cannot be taken from us. It will not fail us, nor will it forsake us. And if you guys uh, would turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 31, or you can follow along on the screen behind me uh, with the reading of God's word. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to my master's, his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was in there, he was in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prisoner. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Was that it? Nope. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each individual here. And Father, it's by no accident, it's by no coincidence that they're here today. And you have truth that you want us all to know. And I pray that you clear our hearts and minds. I know there's many here with burdened hearts. And I pray that you speak to us and teach us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. I want to begin by reading a short story out of Max Cato's book titled In the Eye of the Storm. And the short story is called The Old Man and the White Horse. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. And although poor, he was envied for all, by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse. A horse like this had never been seen before. And people offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. One morning he found that the old horse was not in the stable. And you old fool, the people scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. It would have been better had you sold him. But now the horse is gone, and you've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, Don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That is all we know. The rest is judgment. How can you judge? The people contested, Don't make us to be fools. We may not be great philosophers, but great philosophy is not needed. The simple fact that your horse is gone is a curse. When the old man spoke again, all that I know is that the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? The people of the village thought that the man was crazy. But after 15 days, the horse returned, bringing a dozen wild horses with him. And Once again, the village people gathered around and spoke, Old man, you were right and we were wrong. Please forgive us. The man responded, once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. You only see a fragment. 
you only read one page of a book, does that mean you can judge the whole book? I am content with what I don't know. I'm content with what I know, but not perturbed by what I don't. Maybe the old man is right, they said one to another. Twelve horses had returned with the white horse, but with a little work, the animals could be broken and trained and sold for much money. And the old man's only son began to break the wild horses, but after a few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both his legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. They said that a dozen horses were a curse. Your only son has broken both his legs, and now in your old age, you have no one to help you. The old man spoke once again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son has broken his legs. We only have a fragment. Life comes in fragments. A few weeks later, the country engaged in war against a neighboring country. And all the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. And once again, the people gathered around the old man crying because their sons had been taken. There was little chance that they would return. The enemy was strong, and the war would be a losing struggle. You were right, old man, they wept. God knows you're right, and this proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he's with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. It is impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war. Mine did not. No one knows if this is a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. Only God. You see, all of us are hopeful when life is going good. When our finances are solid, when our job is secure, when our health has never been better, we begin to rest on the assumption that those things will never change. We act at times like the people of the village thinking that just because we've seen one page of life, we begin to understand the whole picture. But what happens? The unexpected happens. And because we only see in fragments, we don't know what the outcome will be and we begin to despair. We begin to lose hope. You got laid off from work and you don't know when work's gonna pick back up. You have an unforeseen medical issue that wipes out your savings and your time and your energy. You have two days to make your mortgage payment before the bank forecloses on your house. What happens? And it seems like life caves in. It seems like our lives collapse. And it seems like our hope in God, God does too. And it feels like God has abandoned us. One thing we need to remember in those moments when our life drastically changes is that God is not against you. He's not abandoned you. And our passage shows us today that just because you and I only see in fragments, our God does not. We need not to despair. God has a purpose, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows what you're going through. And our hope is knowing that God in his kindness will not and cannot abandon us. Now, I'm sure many of us are familiar with the story of Joseph. He was the guy whose dad gave him the coat of many colors. I think we've heard that story since we were knee-high. And uh, he was greatly loved by his father, but he was deeply hated by his brothers. And he was so hated by his brothers, in fact, that they threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery. Scholars say that he was between the ages of 17 and 25. And then additionally, after they sold Joseph into slavery, 
they go back and tell their dad that he was killed by a wild beast. It's not a great change for Joseph's life. Now, Joseph was not only betrayed by his brothers, but now he's on his way to an unknown land. And today we pick up the story as Joseph arrives in Egypt, where he's about to be bought by Potiphar, his new master. Verses 1 through 6 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about from the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Brothers and sisters, our hope is not based on our circumstances. Our hope cannot be based on our circumstances because, as we saw in the story of the old man, the white horse, circumstances change. And not only here in chapter 39, but throughout the whole story of Joseph, Joseph's circumstances were constantly changing, for better and for worse, as we would see them. But now, his life went from bad to worse, but it's starting to pick up. He's bought by Potiphar. He gets a job promotion. But our hope cannot be based on our circumstances. You see, Joseph is taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, Potiphar buys him from the Ishmaelites and gives him the task of managing his property. And Joseph had already been through a lot, yet despite the appearance of his circumstances, God has not turned his back on Joseph. This is evident in verse 2 where it says, The Lord was with Joseph. Now we aren't told what was going on in Joseph's mind when he arrived in Egypt, but regardless of what he didn't know, God was promptly at work starting with Potiphar. You see, there was probably many slaves that Potiphar could have picked. I don't think Joseph was the only one. However, he picks Joseph out out of who knows how many there were. I don't think this was a coincidence. And over the course of time, we see in our text that Potiphar saw that Joseph served his God in everything that he did, and he greatly benefited from Joseph's abilities. The Lord was causing Joseph to prosper at his new job. And we're told in verse 4 that Potiphar valued Joseph so much that he promoted Joseph to become his personal servant. And Joseph's circumstances went from dreadful to incredible. And get this, God was using a non-believer as an instrument to make that happen. And I want you to realize that Potiphar was no chump. His official title was captain of the bodyguard. This would be equivalent to about the chief of police in our contemporary terms. And uh, he was an important dude, Potiphar. And he was in charge of handling all the civil matters. He was in charge of enforcing the law, and he carried out all the executions in the land of Egypt. And all of this is evidence to suggest that Potiphar probably knew how to read people. But when it came to Joseph, our text says that, Joseph trust, or that Potiphar trusted Joseph so much with everything that he owned, the only thing that Potiphar worried about was his next meal, which you like fries with that. That's kind of what it was. <laughs> Joseph was the man, and Potiphar loved him. 
Joseph had the talent. He had the leadership skills. He had the loyalty. He had the intelligence. In addition to that, he just received a promotion. He was serving God in everything that he did, and he was good-looking. Our text says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. To put it in contemporary terms, some may say, Joseph had it going on. (laughs) Now, from your perspective, had you been in Joseph's shoes, what would you be thinking right now? You went from being betrayed by your own family, you weren't even able to tell your dad goodbye, you're sold into slavery, and now you're on your way to an unknown land with people you've never met. How does that affect your view of God? Would you be like Naomi in the story of Ruth, feeling embittered against God, thinking that he's dealt treacherously with you? Or perhaps we would be feeling abandoned, but then your situation changes. Maybe you catch wind that work is going to pick back up. Your health is returned to you. Your home isn't being foreclosed on. How does that affect your view of God then? God is good. God is the great provider. God is merciful. And while all these things are true, we can't allow our circumstances to dictate whether our hope in God remains or not because circumstances change. The good times come and go. And sometimes we feel like our hope in God does too. But as the story of Joseph unfolds, we get to see and hopefully relate to the truth that though we don't know how or in what ways our circumstances will change, God's kindness toward us does not and will not. So at this point in the story, Joseph was very successful where God has placed him, but his circumstances were getting ready to drastically change. Verses 7 through 12 says, It came about after these events, that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. Looking at his credentials, you can imagine why. He looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, listen up. With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. In fact, there is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife." How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Our hope is not dependent on our circumstances, and our hope is not in our ability to control the situation or people. Now, I know that you didn't have to come to church to hear that circumstances change, and I know that you have to come to church to know that certain things are beyond your control. That's no new revelation to anybody. However, knowing that, how many of us still try to control the outcome of a situation anyway? Now, as tight-grip people need to see in verses 7 through 12, that even if we do everything right in the eyes of God, the situation still may not go according to the way that we planned or even hoped for. It's beyond our control. Now, Potiphar's wife was making unwarranted passes at Joseph. And if it wasn't bad enough, let's remember that Potiphar had the ability to execute people. It's not a good combination. Now, how does Joseph handle being propositioned to commit sin? 
In our terminology, we might say that he made a slam dunk, that he hit it out of the park. Joseph immediately tells Potiphar's wife that his master, her husband, has trusted him so much that he's put Joseph in charge of everything that he owns. And the only thing that he's kept from Joseph was his wife. Joseph was a grown man. He knew what he was being asked to do, but he tells her that he will not sin against God, and he doesn't budge an inch. Now, had you been reading this for the first time, how might you expect Potiphar's wife to respond to what Joseph just did? Joseph doesn't weigh the pros and cons of the proposition. He doesn't ask her to sign a non-disclosure agreement, but rather he stands firm in his faith. And what happens? God blesses obedience, right? Right. But does God bless our obedience in the way that we think he's obligated to? Now, what does Potiphar's wife do? She acknowledges her sin. She apologizes to Joseph. She shakes, this isn't funny. She shakes Joseph's hand, and she walks away. I'm looking at different translation. Not exactly. To the contrary, she becomes even more persistent. Now, this is a great example showing the fact that we have no control over how someone will respond to hearing the truth. We certainly hope and pray for the best, but we need to acknowledge that our ability to control people in the situation is not where our hope lies. That's in God's hands. Now, Joseph stood firm in his truth, in, in God's truth, and he knew what he needed to do, and he did it. But Potiphar's wife became even more persistent. Verse 10 through 20 says, As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened, ironically enough, it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called the men of her household in and said to them, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me. And when he heard that I screamed, um, excuse me. When he heard that I screamed, and when he heard that I raised my voice, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So then she leaves her garment, his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. So Potiphar finally, Potiphar's wife finally gets the picture that Joseph's not going to budge. So what does she do? She takes matters into her own hands, literally. She makes a grab for Joseph, and she catches his garment, and then he flees. He's gone. And when she realizes that Joseph left his garment behind, she calls the men in from the household that were waiting somewhere outside, and then the accusations just start flying. Joseph goes from being the man of her dreams to the lowliest of lowlies, the scum of the earth. Get this, a Hebrew. 
Now she tells all the men that Joseph came after her and it was really her husband's underlying motive to make a mockery of anybody by bringing that kind of man to their house. And when Potiphar arrives, she quickly points out that he shares in the blame because after all, it was him who brought that kind of man to their home. Now whether or not Potiphar actually believed the accusations, we aren't told. Potiphar did have the power to execute people, yet he chose to put Joseph in jail instead. Now, why did it go this way for Joseph? Was he in sin? Was God obligated to honor Joseph's obedience in a different way? You and I can speculate on what could have been done differently to produce a different outcome. Hindsight's always 20-20, so I've been told. But certain situations and how people respond to truth is beyond our control, and even when we do everything right, we still may be faced with suffering. That's just the truth. Consequently, some of us become embittered against God, thinking that he owes us a different outcome. You know, God owes me that promotion because of my faithfulness. God owes me an easier life because of my perseverance. And I say this with love, but God simply doesn't owe us anything. But it's precisely because of that, which makes the truth all the more amazing, that he unconditionally bestows his kindness upon us. But God absolutely blesses obedience, brothers and sisters, absolutely. He just doesn't bless it in the way that we think he's obligated to. Now, on the other hand of the spectrum, just because you may be faced with a trial does not mean it's because of sin. Sin certainly has consequences, and I don't think anybody would uh, argue against that. However, our suffering, as with Joseph, can be resultant of our obedience to God. But our hope is not found in our outcomes. We have many promises in the word of God, but an easy life is not one of them. We see only in fragments, but we're not without hope. Our hope is found in God's steadfast kindness, no matter what we go through. Verses 20 through 21 says, So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So here's Joseph in jail. He's already been through a lot, but things started to go good for Joseph. Then what happened? He was propositioned to commit sin. And he stands fast in his faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness, he suffers. False allegations are made, and though Joseph was completely innocent, he still finds himself thrown in jail. Fortunately, the story's not over, because verse 21 says that the Lord was with Joseph, and extended kindness to him, and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the word kindness could also be translated as goodness, loving kindness, and it's this idea of God extending and giving mercy to someone. Not only does God stretch forth his kindness to Joseph in unfavorable conditions, his kindness is seen once again using a non-believer. He gives Joseph favor in the eyes of the chief jailer, and the chief jailer in turn puts Joseph in the managing position to manage the prisoners in the prison where he too was a prisoner in. You see, God never left Joseph, and from Joseph's arrival in Egypt to Potiphar's house to jail, God was with Joseph. Not Facebook friends, not corresponding PayPals, they didn't have Twitter accounts, 
hashtag in jail behind bars, hashtag hope for the best, better luck next year. That's not how this was. God was literally with Joseph even in the worst of places. He never left Joseph. And then the, and then the Lord in his kindness was providing for Joseph the whole time. And I doubt Joseph had anticipated these things going the way that they had, but he didn't allow his inability to piece the fragments together to cause him to lose hope. God in his kindness remained with Joseph in the success and in the suffering. God in his kindness was working even when things went awry, and just because things aren't going according to the way that you and I plan does not mean that God has abandoned you or me. Of course, we know that Joseph doesn't remain in jail. Let me jump to the end of the story. God eventually put Joseph in a position to where he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, and God, in his kindness, gave Joseph the understanding of what the dream meant. And God, in his kindness, allowed Joseph to be led in saving a nation in the seven-year famine. And when the famine came, he was reunited with his family, and they all moved to Egypt, and that was the Israelites. God, in his kindness, through Joseph's life, that crazy series of events, a whole nation was saved. No one would describe Joseph's life as smooth sailing. Joseph couldn't predict his future. His faithfulness caused suffering, but God meant it for good to preserve a nation. Now, God, in his kindness, was with Joseph in his success. He was with Joseph when he was accused by Potiphar's wife. He was with Joseph in jail, and he was with Joseph when the famine came. God, in his kindness, never left Joseph. Through God's orchestrating of events in Joseph's life, a lot of people's lives were saved, even the line of the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, Joseph was innocent when he was put in jail. Our Savior Jesus Christ, too, was innocent when he was accused of blasphemy, when he was accused of being an evildoer. But God's kindness, get this, God's kindness cannot and will not ever abandon you because his wrath was poured out on Christ. Christ was abandoned for us so that God's kindness would be poured out on us because Christ was abandoned. And to be frank, what other God of any other religion would show that kind of kindness? None. None. First Peter 2.21-25 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. For you are continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Christ wasn't put in jail, brothers and sisters. He was nailed to a cross. Joseph remained alive. Our Savior was murdered, but our Savior was resurrected. And because his life, we too live. Joseph saved a nation. Jesus saved a world. 
Because of God's kindness in Christ, we are restored to an unbreakable relationship with God. And no matter how much suffering we go through, God's kindness will never fail us. And our health, our financial stability, our relationships come and go, but God's kindness toward us because of his son, Jesus Christ, our guardian, will not. We see only in fragments, brothers and sisters. We shouldn't worry about what we don't know. We should rest in what we do know. We do know that God's kindness is extended toward us because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know because of Christ, we can never be abandoned. We can never be snatched away or plucked out of the hands of God. Deuteronomy 31.8 says that the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. We know that no matter what we face, like Joseph, God's at work. God knows what he's doing. He sees what you're going through. And in his kindness, because of Christ, our Savior, our guardian, he is with you and I every step of the way. Don't worry about what you don't know. Rest in what you do know. Let's pray. Father, I too have been in times where I know the answers. I can recite rehearsed answers that I learned in Bible college or I learned from a a godly man. But in those moments, sometimes it feels as though I can't relate to that. It feels as though you are far away. But God, we know that that's not true. We know even from your word in the story of Joseph, it's evident. It's been evident, and I'm sure many of us can experience that and have experienced that in our own lives, that Looking back, we can't believe we made it through a situation, but it was because you never left us that we did. Father, it's tough to see in fragments. We can't see the outcomes. We can't even control the outcomes. But I thank you that in your kindness, you stay with us. You know what's going on. You have a plan. And that's something that can never be taken away from us because Christ was abandoned on our behalf because your wrath was poured on Christ, your kindness has been poured out on us. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, nothing can take that hope away from us. Christ is the anchor for our soul. And I pray that you continue to be with those who are hurting and that right now they don't know the outcome to a situation they're in. God, I don't know the pain, but you do. And I pray that you remind them that you haven't left, that you haven't abandoned them, and that you are very near, like Joseph, you are literally with them. We thank you for your church. In your name we pray, amen.